2001, the Prime Minister commissioned I and others to look into the labor market realities of ethnic minorities. And the reason was because in Whitehall, it was known at this time that the highest educational achievement in the UK was not amongst the white majority population, it was actually amongst the ethnic minorities, specifically amongst uh, those of Chinese and Indian heritage. But this was not borne out in the labor market, and so we needed to understand why those with our highest educational achievement were not achieving anything, or as much as they should, in the labor market. And these two graphs show you the gap in employment attainment between the white population and the ethnic minority population. And it buffered around 15 to 17 percentage points, which is actually very significant when you think about how what the size of our labor market actually is. And then when it was broken down by gender, even further still, ethnic minority females were doing far worse than ethnic minority males compared to everybody else in the British labor market. And the census in 2001 allowed us to look at this for the first time in this level of detail. And so we were tasked with coming up with policy recommendations to help resolve or solve this problem. Uh, the census 2001 also allowed us to look at faith minorities for the first time because there was a faith question in the census. And what we learned was if you were Muslim and ethnic minority, you were even further disadvantaged in the British labor market. So you could be a non-white person and a Muslim and suffer the worst in the labor market outcomes regardless of your high levels of education or not. In 2004, George Soros's Open Society Institute, after I discovered the first statistic, asked me to look at British Muslims in the labor market. And this, bearing in mind, is before 7-7. So long before British Muslims were on the national agenda, they were on the Whitehall policy agenda. And what we found was that 68% of British Muslims in the labor market were inactive. So were either not in work or not currently employed at all. We didn't know why this was happening. Uh, one of the big issues at the time where we were not able to separate the generations of British Muslims. So you could have a person that arrived in the 50s versus somebody that was born and raised in the UK, all in the same boat. So we potentially were looking at first generation migrants who may or may not have spoken English with any great fluency, may or may not have had education that could be transferable, or may or may not have been in the labor market ever, versus people who were born and raised in the UK and had high to excessively high levels of educational attainment. So the number itself, while very significant, doesn't actually break the system down for you. You don't understand what's happening with this group in the labor market. But what we did know from our education stats were within this 68 percentage group, you had very high levels of educational attainment at graduate and postgraduate levels. So again, we could not break it down in terms of what was happening to this group other than what we found in 2001, which was ethnic minorities were suffering what we call the labor market penalty. So regardless of what you achieve, your ethnicity is going to fail you in our labor market. On top of that, your gender will fail you even further. In 2008, thanks to the British population study, we could break down the numbers of first and second generation migrants. So I was commissioned then by the Young Foundation to produce these sets of stats. And what we found was that British Muslims, like all other minority groups in the UK, had high levels of educational attainment. So if you were born and raised in the UK, you were more likely to get a graduate or postgraduate qualification compared to your white counterparts. That said, if you were a woman British Muslim minority, you were less likely to ever enter the labor market. So 49% of women in this category were not currently employed. 51% of them, sorry, 51% were inactive compared to 17% of Hindu minorities. So there was a further fractioning in terms of ethnicity and faith amongst the different groups. 
and this is nationwide. This is not a statistic that is only compounded to London, where a majority of UK's minorities and faith minorities live. It's actually a regional problem across the UK. So you can be a British Muslim anywhere as a female, and you will suffer in the labor market, regardless of your labor market attainment. Breaking down the numbers, we did a lot of qualitative material, and here's what we found. While at the time, there was a strong perception that Muslim men don't let their women work or Muslim women don't want to go out to work. This actually is not true. 93% uh, of Muslim women do want to work and they have their families or their parents or their husbands' support to do that. Nevertheless, that doesn't translate into labor market realities. A lot of the women who we did interview, of course, were graduates. And that's not to say everybody that is a British Muslim is a graduate, but they were more likely to be graduates than anybody else in the population. That said, they, the labor market that we currently have in the UK is not geared up to helping an out-of-work graduate, because the labor market system that is devised by Job Center Plus isn't stacked up to help a person that is a graduate. You can't walk in there and look for graduate jobs necessarily. It's actually geared to lower skilled or low educational levels. That's a very general statement, but it's largely true. Equally, we live in a society where social capital and social networks are a very strong influencing factor of your labor market outcomes. But if you are the child of a migrant, you are very likely to, less likely to have those social capital networks because your parents either did not work or they did not work in the occupations or the professions that you would now want to work into. So you don't have any of the social capital network capability that people who are of a society who are longstanding probably do have. And the reality of our economy is most people actually do get their first job through their social capital networks. It's somebody that you knew or somebody your parents knew is going to give you that first, second, and third job. Other findings in terms of religious discrimination. The first stat is DWP, uh, Labor Market Department in the UK. After accounting for everything that shows you the gap that I showed in the first slide in terms of the difference in employment between ethnic minorities and whites, up to half of that gap is caused by discrimination. There's nothing else in that gap that is anything to do with your education levels, where you live, what your background is. It is the color of your skin and the faith that you have. When we did the 2008 study, we asked Muslim, British Muslim women specifically about this issue. Do you think that the reason you have a job or not have a job or are not progressing in that job has anything to do with your faith? And these are the stats that women told us. I mean, it's very subjective, it's true. But if you perceive discrimination, largely, that is actually a very real thing. Proving it is a different issue. Um, but one of the telling stats on this was that 18% of women who previously wore Islamic headdress did not find work. They stopped wearing Islamic headdress and they found work. So it's a very raw and crude statistic. What we do also know in the UK is that Islamophobia is rising, as is anti-Semitism. So being of a visible faith minority group is going to affect your labor market um, outcomes. And that's more predominant in women than it is in men, because women are more visibly faith observant. Valuing family and valuing children, uh, work. We talked about childcare earlier. Ethnic minorities, Pakistanis and Bangladeshis specifically have the lowest take-up of childcare compared to any other population. And it has nothing to do with how many children they have, because actually these groups are increasingly having fewer children than they used to in historical contexts. But it is to do with accessible and affordable childcare where they live, because ethnic minorities, as I said previously, predominantly do live in London, as well as the other five ethnic conurbations in the UK, which are Birmingham, Manchester, etc. If childcare is unaffordable, this is a bigger hindrance than anything on your access to and progression in the labor market. 
That said, nothing is being done to support more ethnic minority or faith minority women in the labor market. Childcare take up, welfare tax credits of take up for ethnic minorities are actually very low, uh, contrary to what you might read in the popular media. And so they are not accessing childcare. And equally, there is nothing being done to promote childcare to these groups. So the long-term trajectory of your labor market outcomes is actually looking pretty similar to what it is currently. So my summary analysis on this is, British Muslims, like most minorities, are actually a growing youthful demographic. Uh, we, one in four babies born in the UK is not white. Um, so that gives you an idea of what your trajectory looks like. That said, the labor market inefficiencies are not being addressed. Perceptions don't match realities. British Muslim women want to work. They have the family support to work. They're highly educated. But this is not the assumption many have of British Muslim women. The lack of education to employment transition in the UK. Often when we talk about this, we talk about it for those who are low-skilled and don't yet know how to access the labor market in terms of job preparation, job connectivity, soft skills. It's also very valid to those from ethnic minority and migrant community backgrounds because you did not ever understand this labor market to begin with because your parents were not of this labor market. So we have to find a way to high tune into you how the British labor market works in terms of social capital and soft skills so that you can navigate your way into and within that labor market. Because it's not just about labor market entry, but it's also about labor market progression, which is one of the issues that was talked about in terms of how many ethnic minority women in general, faith minority women, are in senior leadership roles. Religious discrimination, we have not made a dent in this at all. Like many of the other equality issues in the UK, we can continuously talk about it, and we have the legislation on the books, but in terms of realities, it's still very real and it's still with us. Finally, childcare, the cognitive benefits and the social development benefits for women and children. It's not accessible, it's not affordable, so the benefits you are never likely to actually achieve, even though we all believe that formal childcare is a good thing for mother and child. So these were some of the policy recommendations I devised for the reports, which actually is still valid for women in general, but equally ethnic and faith minority women in the UK. Uh, labor market awareness, mentoring, soft skills, networking, career progression. These things are fundamental to understanding your labor market and your success within it. They go for men too, but somehow women seem to not get the same level of outcomes as men, even though most women in the UK have higher levels of education than men. Um, partnering with employer organizations across the board, public and private sectors have a duty and responsibility to try and make sure that people connect to the labor market, which is more important for the younger demographic as the traditional vocational sectors don't do as well in the UK. Tracking minority and faith minority employee graduates. This is probably the only way to find out if we are going to do any better in the labor market. It's not currently done, we don't know what works. We do know that there are a lot of NGOs that actually operate in this area, but none of these programs are ever scaled up, so we can't see how they'd operate at a national level. Um, I also have um, recommendations on childcare and what we need to do about Job Centre Plus and other local agencies. These things are fundamental to all women. They're not specific to ethnic minorities or faith minorities. So I have two more minutes. Um, but they do need to be done for things to change. Ethnic, religious, gender discrimination. We do need to fix this. I don't know if the Charter can do that, but hopefully it will go some way to doing this. Um, we've had legislation in place for many years, uh, the Equality Act included. We don't have the bodies in place that can actually take these things forward. EHRC, I think it's still called, has been around for a long time. Um, but when you hear about gender discrimination cases, faith discrimination cases, they're usually brought by individuals. They're not brought by these bodies that were set up to actually protect our rights. So we do need to think about that in terms of how a charter can 
not just be a good thing on the books, but actually be enforceable. Equally, public spending power, you know, we spend billions in government every year. Maybe we should start using that to promote gender and ethnic and faith minority employment and equality issues, because it's a big lever. Um, it's done in many other countries, and it's quite successful, but it's not done in the UK. It did used to be done in the UK by the GLA, and it was quite successful, but it was never replicated. Some ideas for the charter going forward. Pamela mentioned the FTSE. It's true. The Davis Review that came out just a few years ago, because only 22% of women sat on boards, has been productive in the sense that it had a threat of a quota. And so now, suddenly, lots of companies are putting women on boards. I sit on three boards, and I got on those boards in the last 24 months. So they are actively recruiting women. Um, but what is damning about this is you need to take this model and extend it if it's ever going to be effective across your board because you know the FTSE 100 is not your entire labor market. You do need to look at entry progression recruitment within those companies as well because there's only like 10 to 15 people on any one board. But you need to look at how it's done recruitment-wide. Included in that is the ethnic minority and faith minority numbers. Less than half of these boards contain any minority at all, so it's not representative of the UK gender pay gap and fixed time penalties for people that don't comply. I think these things need to go with threats, otherwise they're just good things to say. Um, monitoring gender, ethnicity, and faith across your board equally. I think that would be something that could be quite valuable in your charter, because otherwise we could be here another 40 years uh, talking about this, which I'm sure some of us might find a bit hard. And finally, affordable and accessible childcare particularly in the five conurbations. As we move to central living even more, despite the high living costs in the country, accessible child care is going to be a lot harder in our conurbations, and so we do need to talk about that. Thank you. Thank you.